Hello, everybody, and welcome to Card by Content. I am Grant, one of your hosts from Fellowship Blades. I am Dalen from MachineWise. I am David from Contraption Collection. And I'm John from Triaxis. So uh, last week, after the podcast, we kind of got into a little bit deeper of conversation about what our kind of long-term goals are for our businesses or, or like our, our aspirations, I guess, um, you know, where we want our businesses to be and what our job within the business ideally looks like. And I, I think we kind of felt bad that it wasn't in the podcast and that, that maybe we should have talked about it here more. And so what I suggested I kind of wanted to talk about was where you guys want to be in maybe three years or, or maybe, you know, one to three years because, to me, that's something I've been thinking about a lot because like for the very long term, I struggle with knowing what I really want. Do I want one employee? Do I want a thousand empl- employees? And I, and I don't have the experience. Um, and also, you know, if you just look at like day to day, you can kind of be on a path and just you're not even sure where it leads and maybe it goes somewhere you don't want. And so I think it's kind of important to think about this kind of midterm you know, sort of long-term, but not completely wildest dreams thing, because you have to think a little bit yet. You have to try to figure out what's realistic and then you can kind of work backwards and, and figure out if you're actually taking steps to get there. Um, so what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I guess I'll go, go ahead and kind of start us off here. Um, <clears throat> my, my like 30 year goal is I, I, t- I told you guys this, but I, I kind of want to put it on the co- podcast because it's I think it's relevant to to where my three year goal ends up is uh, 30 year goal. I want to be bigger than Benchmade. Um, that's like I know it's definitely not everyone's like goal or dream or whatever, but it's mine. And so that moves the three year goal is it's like, OK, right now I have one employee and an intern. Um three years, like probably looking at five to 10 employees um, as opposed to like, oh yeah, Zeke and I will just keep, keep rolling the shop. Um, And so, but the way I, the way I look at it is not like growth for gross sake. Um, I don't want to just like throw employees and spindles in a shop and, and claim that I've grown and it's all good. Um, The way I view like growth in a good way or success is, um, probably active product count because if I'm actively selling different products at the same time, um, not only do I have diversified design, but I also assume that I have demand for those products. Um, and so I, in three years, I want to have uh, probably 10 active products. That is, you know, I've, I'm actively scheduling every week 10 different things to be run on mills, maybe, maybe five or six spindles to run these 10 products, but um, that's kind of the deal is right now I have one active product, one kind of intermittent product, and then I'm about to release a different product that is not even a, a spindle product. Um, and so three years, I, I want to m- move that to 10 and then whatever the employee and spindle count looks like is kind of whatever I need to do to fit that level of growth. Um, so that's kind of how I was thinking about it too, is, is, I'd hope in three years I've totally established selling the ballast scissors, but I've also maybe 
recently introduced a second product or even maybe a couple variations of the same product. Also, I think I have a cold. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to, to me, it's like trying to figure out what makes sense. Uh, it's, it's also like how many you're making. So of the products you currently have, assuming you keep selling them, like how much do you think you'd want to be producing a month, let's say? Yeah, it's kind of hard because like the Medusa was very much made out of necessity. Um, It was, you know, I'm a guy in a shop and I came out with the Pit Vipers, which frankly, for for a first design were were killer. But also for a second design or third design, like they had a lot to to change. Um, And so after Blade Show, uh, goodness gracious. After my first Blade Show East, I redesigned the Pit Vipers, but I could only do so much with it. So I came out with the Tanto Blade, which fixed a lot of issues. And then I realized that I think it was I only made like 60 or 70 serial numbers for the Tantos. Uh, I kind of figured I had to change and I redesigned from the bottom up. I moved it to Zen pins. I made them longer. I made them different size, tapered handles, blade obviously completely changed. Um and I came out with the Medusa and, and that product was was developed, I think, within a month or two. No, it was probably three months, but I had a prototype within a month. Um, and it's like, do I do I want to be selling, you know, 200 Medusas a week? Well, the Medusa is probably not a, a sustainable product for that. Um, it's Did kind you of say 200 a week. Yeah. Well, it's like right now it's like 15 a week. OK, so in three years, you know, level of growth do i want to be selling 200 medusas a week I'd okay probably not um medusas wise because that product is made to sustainably sell to a higher end market it is it is a high quality you know high cost market uh and so you're probably not going to be able to sustain sustain 200 customers a week that like that's that's kind of crazy um but in a different product like uh you know it relevant to this podcast is like the prismas that Dalen's are make Dalen is making, you know, he just sold 30 in, in two minutes and, and we're both worried about like future sustainability for the higher end products, but the prismas are still selling out like crazy. Um, or like all of Lucas's stuff are, they're still selling hundreds and hundreds a week of, of aluminum knives and lower, lower cost products. Um, still good quality, still, still very functional and, and, you know, Lucas and, and Dalen's aluminum knives are high quality products, but it's lower cost. It's lower overhead. Um, and that, which means you can deliver to the end consumer at a lower rate. And thus you can get away with selling 200 a week or, or whatever that number ends up being. Um, and so my kind of thought process right now is, do I want to move into a high production, low cost market, or do I want to stay in the higher end market? Um, and it's something I'm really struggling with because I'm seeing great success both as an artist and, and a maker, um, but also as a business in the high end market. And it's like, do I really want to play ball in the lower end market? I'm going to dabble. I'm going to try with with a, a new product coming out. But um, is it something that like I want to leave to other companies or or do I let everybody else make my parts and then I assemble them? and sell the high, high production knives. Um, but they're not like my parts. Well, it, um, se- it seems like you value having a lot of different products. So it seems like eventually you would, 
you would have both. You'd have the higher end stuff and the lower end stuff. It's just kind of what makes sense to do when. Right. Yeah. It's, it's and, certainly... and I struggle with I struggle with that too. Um, yeah. Well, I was you saw this with the scissors. You started out with titanium, um, and you. I mean, if the scissors ended up, and I'm sure you will have a titanium version at some point, but like that's going to be a a high level product, rightfully so. Like it's going to be awesome. It's also going to cost you more. And it's also going to sell for a lot more, which yeah, means... I, I mean, I think I'm going to be high end even with the aluminum because we all know that the hardest part is making the blades and I have to make two blades. Right, yeah, uh, right. Um, and and like that's just part of the whole, the whole game is like uh, I'm and and I'm, I'm struggling kind of with that right now is I'm making an aluminum sandwich knife with aluminum bronze spacers. Everything is surfaced, Every, like it's high level machining, it's double sided machining or, two, you know, I'm full machining on all sides. It's not just like top down machining or whatever. Um, and it's like this, is, there's a lot of mill cost going into this product, but the actual material cost is kind of low. But to make it worth my while, I'm going to have to sell it for uh, excess of 250, 300, 350 in that range. Um, which I think, I think it'll compete there, but it's like, is, are people even wanting this? Like, are they wanting somebody to pour in this much effort in a quote unquote aluminum low end knife? Um, whereas like, if I just make it out of titanium, it's like, I'm going to get so much more like price out of it. Um, I, just think, because it has I think that badge. I, I think you're making assumptions that like, I think, I mean, to me, the, the material, doesn't matter as much as what it looks like, you know, like, uh, if you look at like high end watches, you know, tons of the most popular, most expensive watches are just stainless steel. There's Mm -hmm. gold ones out there. There's titanium ones out there, but a lot of people like the stainless steel, um, you know, like all the popular Rolexes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and so I, I, to me, it just matters how cool it is. And so I, I don't think you should undersell it too much and, or say it's like a lower end product or, or, you know, but I don't know that that's a different conversation. I want to make sure John and, and Dalen get a little bit uh, in here. Well, yeah. So more moral to that story is my brand, like my, my products, every product that I want to come out is I'm focusing on the design first. Um, I want the design to be maximum. I want the, the care and effort into that product to be as, as high as possible. Um, even if that product is made out of aluminum, I'm going to be doing some crazy fun stuff with it. Right. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, where on the, on the value train, where does that product land and how sustainable is it as far as manufacturing goes? Um, cause I, I've been kind of toying around with like, and, and we talked about this with, uh, after the podcast, um, but no one else got to hear is like, do I get, do I start, you know, collaborating with big businesses and with designs and they'll, you know, they'll sell it under their name, but as me as the designer, um, and that's part of my business model because technically that's a product that I'm getting out in the world, but it's just not under my roof. Um, and, and that's a big question that will, will absolutely like shape what my three year mark does is if I move to that level, it's like, okay, then I don't need 20 employees. I need five. And then I need a lot of networking and I need to work with these big, big businesses. And I, and I need to start flying on, you know, 
I need to start flying to, to Virginia and Washington and whatever to work with these big companies. That's a whole different business model than like just making as many knives as possible. Um, so right, right now, my three-year goal is to, to build the core business, but I'm trying to open up doors and I want to see where those lead. Um, and, and that's going to, that's going to change. Like if you ask me a year from now, I'll probably have a different answer, but <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Uh, John, what, what do you think? <clears throat> just, just trying to put down this Chinese food. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds uh really good. Uh, as far as my plan goes, I have no idea. Three years, I'm still trying to figure out how the next month is going to go. But I will say that something I would really, really love to do is get into uh, either like engineering or prototyping for people's problems. So and I guess that would involve like 3D scanners as well, because I think those are so cool. But I would really like to do a product that's quote like complicated with like electronics. Mm hmm. And I'm not really sure what that would be. I guess to start something that is uh, relatively easy to think about is like a flashlight. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's that's certainly not an easy product uh, as far as because like I follow quite a few people who make flashlights. They're not easy products to make, so I'm not saying that. But in the scale of like complexity, that's a pretty good starting point, I think, as far as... Um, well, so this this is why I want to talk about this because I, I think it's okay that you don't know because I don't completely know either. But like, it it doesn't have to be you know. The question isn't like what's your perfect plan. It's like what what do you value? And so, you know, it could, the time frame could be whatever you want. But you'd like to have more products than just uh, knives, or or do you even would you want to have multiple knives as products? Or you know, you have the tweezers. You've done some other things. Yeah, um, I like doing the knives because they're challenging, and I think I'm going to do another, probably another design alongside Midnight. But I, like I said, I want to get into using like the class related stuff I'm doing, which is why I'm doing it, and get into like <clears throat> basically more complicated stuff. And that's why I mentioned the flashlight thing. But as far as like actual goals go, I don't have really huge goals the only thing i would like is have employees i guess and be able to support families essentially but i don't care to um work like 90 hours a week and kind of like drive a behemoth around you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Uh, another um, thing is would you like it so that maybe you could think about it as like you'd like to get to the point where you could buy two new machines a year or something like that Yeah, I just, I'm like, I have like literally no money essentially right now. And so I would just like to get to the point where I wasn't thinking about money. And Well, yeah, everyone wants that. Yeah, it's more of I'm stuck in the loop of trying to get the knives rolling. So it's hard for me to see really past that. But I do have like, I do really like the prototyping stuff. And I do really like the entire process of going from idea to an actual working product production stuff is pretty boring to me uh so i would just hand that off essentially but if we became like an r&d company 
kind of. I think that would be pretty cool. And like somebody comes to us, we have this product or an idea. Is it something you guys can actually like design and build a working prototype type thing? And there are businesses out there that do that. We don't really hear about them kind of thing. Uh, so I just yeah. think something like that would be really neat. And There's been times I've been desperate yeah. enough to almost try to find one of those to make the scissors for me when I was stuck <laughs> several times. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the goal, I guess, is just to survive for now and then get into uh, making more complicated stuff. But that, so, that, that's interesting because that's definitely a different path than just being like, I want to make, you know, it's definitely different than Grant's path where he wants to be bigger than Benchmade or whatever. So the, the, the incentive is to make as many knives as possible, or that's, I mean, not exactly, but, you know, up production or outsource production or find more designers or do more designs. Uh, it, you know, it seems like you want to be kind of a more bespoke business, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know. I just know that I like making stuff that doesn't exist essentially. Uh, so as far as like complexity levels go that are in my head, it could be something as simple as something that fits in your pocket or trying your hand at a vehicle or something. And, and it seems like you like being kind of multidisciplinary where like I used to really, I wanted to try to think of a product that would combine metalworking and woodworking and leatherworking. And then, you know, electronics would be cool too. Uh, you know, it, it seems like it seems like maybe I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe it's only electronics you're interested in, but uh, it seems like you kind of would like to expand the type of things you do. Yeah, in in my mind, there are tools. So machining is a tool, designing is a tool, and I guess the overall like things that revolve are just making things in general. And yeah, that's. I don't know, just make cool stuff and hopefully make a living off of it. <laughs> yeah. Dalen, you want to kind of talk about your thoughts? Yeah, I can chime in here. Um, I mean, in terms of like a three-year goal, I mean, I could list off machines I want to buy, this, that, or the other, but that's less of a goal and more of a, or I don't know, that's less of like an actual business plan than... No, that's what I say. That's great. That's like, it's about, I try to like kind of dive into the ambitions, not, yeah, not totally. totally just... Uh, Solid but, uh, plans. I mean, I'm definitely, it seems that I'm about as opposite as it can get from both John and Grant. Um, <laughs> I don't want a million different product lines. Uh, I don't want a ton of employees. I mean, if I get there, great. Uh, I don't necessarily want that immediately. And uh, I don't know. I see, I like the production side. That's my passion, actually. I don't like being the button pusher who just, you know, keeps production going. Ideally, I want production to be as hands-off for everyone as possible, which is the portion I like. Um, I'm all about streamlining processes, process reliability, um, finding the, the latest and greatest technology to do that, which is ironic because I don't even have probes yet. <laughs> I'd say John is actually in the best position machine wise to uh do what i want to do machine wise oh <laughs> wow <laughs> i didn't even see that one coming i yeah. am not in machine wise 
<laughs> Jalen's plugging his his own company is asleep right now. <laughs> Apparently. Um. But like, I mean, what what I want in three years is uh, I want a palletized fifth axis that runs twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, yeah. now we're talking. That's what I want, and I will get there. It w- I don't know if it'll be three years. I mean, obviously, everyone wants a Kern. Uh, yeah, that's not a three year goal right now. I don't think. Um, but maybe some, you know, quote unquote, lower end palletized five axis that, you know, I want to be able to, uh, I guess I don't necessarily care what I machine. Uh, I do enjoy knives. Uh, I do like the Balasong community and I enjoy flipping them. Therefore, you know, I'd like to make them, but I really don't care what the part is at the end of the day. I want to make as many of any part as fast as I can, as long as it's a part within my company because I really don't like doing outside work. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you uh, in, in that model, like how large are your, are you aiming for at the, at the current time in terms of like company size? Yeah. Like, I mean, so currently you have, you have three spindles, right? I have two mills. I mean, I guess I have my Tormach. I don't count that. I have two, two oh, right. real spindles. Okay. Two, two production spindles. Yes. Um, and and you're about to have three product lines that are your actively well and yep. four I guess but three knives. I, have four. You're, I don't you're, even know anymore. What's my fourth? <laughs> your quads, uh, the quad. Oh frames. yeah, the drone frames. I forgot about those. Uh, <laughs> they're actually running well, right so now. You're, about, you're about to bring back the slips, and that's three active product lines on two Correct. mills. Yep. And um, it's like, how far do you want to take that in three years? Do you want to have another spindle? Do you want to have, I mean, we talked about you wanting a lathe and stuff, but yeah, obviously um, I definitely need slash want a lathe. Yeah. But yeah. So do you go in, go into like how, what's that size? Like, do you want to run more products? Do you want to have more no, spindles? I, I don't necessarily care how many products I have. That will be more or less completely dependent on the market and, mm-hmm. uh, what I can produce realistically, you know, if I produce so much of one thing that I can't sell it anymore, then I will have to branch into a different product line. Right. Um, But I mean, if, if I can get a palletized five axis right now, um, I could outproduce both of my mills combined and have more spare time to make more things. Can you do it right now? If I had the funds to get one? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So So Should have gotten on ideas. There was a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, I can't afford any of them though. (laughs) I know what you mean. I felt like an imposter when I was there. Yeah, right. So, so say, say you know, Lucas bought a Kern and was like, ah, you know what? I actually didn't need it. Hey, Dalen, you want this for ninety percent off? (laughs) Yeah, it's hypothetical. It's like if a Kern landed, if a Kern landed in your shop today, would you sell your other two mills and just run the Kern? I would. Or do I would. I would tackle it from the smartest vantage that I could. I would keep everything running on the standard machines mm-hmm. and I would dedicate 90 to 95% of my time getting that current running immediately. Right. I probably wouldn't sleep for many days. I'm sure you wouldn't know yeah. <laughs> knowing how you work. Uh-huh. Like, if you swapped, if you swapped your products to the current and it's, it's outpacing the mills. Yep. Like, would you just max out production on everything, keep the mills going? Or would you say, hey, wait, I want to I want to actually decrease. I'm the current is the right amount of overhead and the right amount of production. And no, just I keep it where it is. Oh, OK, like company size itself. I. If the sky's the limit, fantastic. Gotcha. 
I'm not opposed to, you know, having a larger company and, ha- and having to hire the necessary people to sustain it. Um, See, but this is why I was kind of trying that. to like constrain the conversation a little bit, which yeah, is right. like, like you don't know if you want a hundred employees, but would you be okay with two more employees? Right. I'm okay with as many employees as it takes. I mean, that's, I guess that's the end of that thought, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. If I'm a three man company for 10 more years, but I get to have a palletized five axis that runs 24 seven. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, if it takes, is that your ideal? <sighs> like it's okay if, if you ideally want less employees and more robots, I, we're kind of really all introverts. I don't think I have an ideal for like employee size necessarily. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to have more employees than necessary, obviously I'd like, but I also don't want to have their workloads be too large. Um, See, I think, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was say in, in your three year goal, like, you you know, with your current, uh, production, there's only so many employees that you need to to do what you're doing. Yes. But there's, there's an extra employee that is something that kind of you, we talked about it a little bit is would you hire a designer because that's not your cup of tea? If you, if you could find one, you know? Yeah, I, I, I honestly probably would. Um, I don't really enjoy designing. I don't think I'm the best at it. It's more so, I guess, a necessary evil that I have to do because I am a product-based company and I intend to stay a product-based company. Right. Um, but yeah, I think there are many other people out there that would be much better suited to being a designer there. I mean, there are some, some things I'd still like some control over in terms of balance, weight distribution, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just to, I guess, hit my preferences, but it also wouldn't be a bad idea to hit other people's preferences when it comes to that. Yeah. So, so I, I, can I get it to my three year thing? Yeah, a little bit? yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, I, I think I'm kind of like a combination of all you guys a little bit. But I feel like Dalen is the closest to living what I see as my, like where I want to be in three years, which is like in three years, I think it'd be really awesome if I was like doing drops of a hundred scissors a week, or sorry, a month, a hundred a month, I think. Okay. A hundred sounds like a lot, but it also doesn't sound impossible it sounds like a crazy amount because i haven't sold one right it's a very reasonable amount honestly yeah but three years is also plenty of time like maybe i could get there before then um and and like you know because long term if we're talking about like the crazy whatever goals it'd be like i want to have a dozen products i want to make not scissors i want to also make you know flashlights and other stuff too and you know uh and i want to have tons of customization and choices and different materials but just doing like a different color and different handle pattern every month. And I make like a hundred a month, you know, I think I could be potentially happy at that level forever. Uh, and just have like a few employees. Um, I think I could just be set if potentially, uh, and, and I feel like Dalen's probably the closest to that. So I just need to, I, I kind of want to figure out, uh, you know, and it's also similar to what you're doing, Grant and stuff. But uh, uh, that that's kind of where I'm I'm feeling lately. Okay. Well, so so what's what's your like one year plan, or or even maybe six months, depending on what's relevant? Is 
Like when I, I'm hoping. Oh, sorry, I just uh, I, I'm hoping that maybe next month I'll have you know made several scissors and and am confident in the process that I'll actually sell the number one that I have sitting ready to sell. Uh, and not feel worried that I needed to look at it or something. Uh, and then uh, I'm trying to get three-phase power, and then hopefully I would, you know, maybe buy a Haas or something. And uh, and then I, I'm going to also, I'm trying to explore having other people make, uh, you know, I had someone else make pins. I might continue to do that. Uh, I might have someone else make blades even, but that's a little hard to tell for sure. Um, but I, I always want to be involved on some level and, uh, maybe in the future I'll decide I want to be more prototyping or maybe I'll decide I want to, you know, get lathes and stuff too, and be really making every single part myself. Uh, but right now I just want to find some kind of mix that works that I can, you know, cause this is what I was talking about, like going backwards in time. It's like, if I want to make a hundred a month, then in a year I should be, you know, things kind of scale exponentially. So it's like in a year I could hopefully get like 10 a month or 20 a month or whatever. Uh, and so that, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out is, is what, what all needs to be figured out for that to happen. Yeah. Oops. I, I, I think you're, I mean, a hundred month is totally doable. Uh, oh yeah. The question is kind of, how do you build yourself and your shop around that? Because, uh, like for me, hundred a month means I have three employees, uh, just because that's so many parts. <laughs> there's, there's it's a lot of assembly, a lot of moving parts, a lot of finishing. Whatever. It is. Like, yeah, the uh, assembly right, is the scariest part. Yeah, right yeah. now, like I'm at fifty a month. Uh, Zeke runs the shop, and and I'm running the overhead and everything. But like Rage coming in, the intern to you know assemble things here and there makes everybody's life just that much easier um and it's like we could probably push it to 70 but if we did 100 i think i'd hire another person okay i mean i'm i'm right in that situation right now i'm doing 45 a week and i'm looking to push that to 60 a week in the next week or two weeks jeez Um, yeah and i'm I'm currently solely responsible for assembly and it's it's not taking all of my time uh but if i'm not careful and smart with my time it can take more than all of my time right yeah it's amazing how fast uh, 45 to 60 knives a week build up without you realizing dude i know it <laughs> like, i swear i blinked today and there was nothing on my assembly wall and then there was 15 knives on my assembly wall and i went oh where'd yeah. this come from <laughs> um also you were saying uh like who doesn't want to curd like i feel like i don't want to curd uh i i feel like uh, to me right now, I just feel like I want as many machines as possible, not like a super expensive, crazy machine. I, I feel like to me having multiple sh- machines where they can all just be only making one part. And then you have another machine that's only for prototyping to me. That's my dream setup is, is a bunch of hosses or a bunch of speedios or something like that where, you just, you know, they're just very dedicated. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it makes sense to get a horizontal or something, and those are cool too. But right, yeah. to me, the the five-axis, I don't know. For blades with weird angles and stuff, maybe it makes sense. But 
I'm just not as much uh, excited about that, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's what like really, truly excites me. I mean, at the end of the day, all I want to do is sit in front of a machine doing something that I have no idea how to do it and bashing my head into the control until it works. That is like, that's my happy zone. (laughs) You you were talking about like the process improvement stuff. I do enjoy just tweaking tool paths and making it better. But uh, as for like what my kind of want my job to become not just being the the button presser or the assembler yeah uh, i want to be someone who's improving the whole process of the whole business you know like the all the pearson stuff you know i like okay ordering carts and arranging toolboxes and putting labels on things and okay yeah i you know rearranging furniture that's the kind of stuff that would make me enjoy having employees Okay. Yeah. I, I want to hire someone to do all of that because I am an unorganized tornado of a mess. Hell yeah. You oh, like refining no tools right. paths and stuff, but you don't like, uh, you don't like refining toolboxes. No, I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, okay. I, I just want to improve production, uh, for the sake of improving production, <laughs> honestly, because that's more or less what my job has been for a long time at other companies. See, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that improved production follows from an improved shop space, you know? It does. No, you're 100% right. The You need the entire process and part flow throughout the entire company to be streamlined. Otherwise, if you have just production as streamlined as possible and everything else is lacking, then you get a yeah. pile up of parts and all of the bottlenecks. Yep. Uh, which I've experienced to some extent here and there, assembly. I, I do think, because uh, I was thinking about this earlier today is... Um, a- after our talk last week is like, I love designing. That's where I thrive. You know, I, the production and everything else, like I love making too, uh, don't get me wrong, but, and I love prototyping, but the actual production and refining the production, um, to me, that's a means to the end. It's like, I, I need to get this, whatever tool path perfect so that we can have good not- parts every week. And, and I didn't, I don't like that part. Um, and I think the reason I don't like it is where the stress is. I think if if I was in a stress free environment, like if if money wasn't an option and time or money wasn't a variable and time wasn't a variable, I think I absolutely do love that part, um, just refining the process. But right now, and at least in my shop, it's you know the mill is down so that I can prototype, and I have to prototype prototype as efficiently as possible so that we can get the mill up and keep making money as I'm doing this. And that stress crunch is what drives me to not enjoy that process. Um, Where in the designing, it's like I have free time and I'm not stopping anything to go out and design. Like no process is running. The shop is making money, but I get to sit here and also design things and there's like no stress around it. That's why I I thrive in designing. I love designing. Um, And that's why like. Uh, Dave, what you're saying is like having a couple mills, one for prototyping and R and D and one for production yep. or, or whatever is like that can drive really healthy thought processes um, compared to currently what's happening in my shop is, is just stress when the mills down. <laughs> see, see where I've struggled is, is I, I like make something way too elaborate for just a prototype and make a way too elaborate fixture. It's just for a prototype. And so I wasted a bunch of time when it turns out, I have to do things completely different, but then I just don't make the elaborate prototype. I just MacGyver stuff together and do right. it in a real janky way. But then it turns out, Oh, I actually have to do this quite a few times. 
And so now I have to undo the MacGyvering and do make the elaborate fixture or whatever it is. And so like, I want to be able to spend time just organizing the shop, making things clean, making efficient fixtures and tool paths and stuff. But it, it always seems to work out where, you you know, I can never do it at the right time. You know, stuff just kind of is, is jankly put together. And, you know, I think like, I just got to get through it. Just, you know, get this last prototype done just sell one, whatever. But then it's like, okay, it turns out I couldn't sell that one. I need to fix this, which means I need to do more of this stuff. So I should do it in a less janky way and, mm-hmm. you know, make a more repeatable way of doing things. And and it's tough. Yeah. I, I've been trying to figure out where the line is between prototyping and production because it, it is very much a different thought process. And you're the way that you approach a problem, say like designing a palette, if I'm prototyping, it's like, I need this quick and dirty because I don't even know if this design is worth it. I might completely change the design, which makes the palette, you know, irrelevant and so on and so forth. So it's like, yeah, you want to spend a lot of time on the palette to make a good palette, but I just need a quick and dirty part. Um, And I keep getting to a weird middle ground where it's like, I did a quick and dirty palette and I kind of what you're talking about is like, I did a quick and dirty palette, but it was good enough to run production. But then like six months in, I need to rebuild that palette from scratch because like the clamps I was using was not really the right clamp. It was just the clamp I had on hand, uh, whatever. And it's like, okay, well, but now the production's running. I can't stop the mill to rebuild this palette or whatever. Uh, or, you know, spending all day redoing all of the cam for everything on a new palette and everything and, well, and then redialing all that in and stuff. Just having the palettes is all, is already like an amazing improvement because I went from just like raw blocks of aluminum for fixtures for prototyping, which is fine for a little bit. But then the second I wanted to make slightly bigger numbers, I started trying to make entire fixtures from scratch that were like nice. And like right. could bolt, you know, before just holding a device, that's fine, whatever. But the like middle ground between pallets and holding a just random block of aluminum advice was terrible because it took, you know, just trying to create a fixture from pure imagination, no pallet structure to it. Uh, you know, that was just that was probably the worst thing that I spent way too long on <laughs> because I thought that's saving time and money, uh, but it really just is less standardization and more complicated where now, yeah, it sucks if I spend $90 on a Pearson palette or whatever that just gets scrapped because I decided to make the part different, but it, it saves, you know, many tens of hours or a hundred hours. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's where, uh, I like, you know, what John's doing right now is, and I, you know, we've all kind of are, at this point or on one design or another is we've finished the part design and now it's yeah. like, okay, I know this part's going to not going to change. This bore isn't going to move or change in size. And so I can account and I can use this bore for my palette effectively, consistently, whatever. And I can build things around it. Once, once you have a finished part, palettes get really easy. Um, like I'm, I'm figuring that it, I changed my thought process with the Gaboon is I did a lot of CAD. I did so I, I, before I even prototype anything, I redesigned it like 10 times, but I, I printed it several times, but like 
I redesigned it over and over and over. And I felt that as soon as I'm going to touch the machine, this is more or less a finished product. Like I'm going to tweak intolerances, but I'm not going to change the CAD models. And that allowed me to pursue making a really clever and fun palette. Um, And it was really quick. Like when I knew all the tools to buy, spent 1500 bucks on tools. They came the next week, put them all into the mill, hit cycle start. And I had prototypes the same day. And it was like that complete frame shift of like my product is done and this palette is the right one and we're just hitting go um was really cool and and it's like okay now how do i do that every time uh, <laughs> and, and i'm trying to figure that one out <laughs> no it's it's painful looking back at my older videos and like realizing how much stuff that i know n- now that seems so obvious that could have made prototyping so much faster that i yeah. know like the next things i try to make will will go so much faster yeah and, and it's it's crazy because like what we've all done at some point is like skunk works right like you are you are in the middle of some shop what yours your shop or or a shop that you want to build and you want to put stuff together to make a part and that part becomes a knife or a product or a component or whatever it's like okay this part's 3d printed this part's milled this part's whatever and and then after that you refine it into a you know this okay everything's cnc milled and we're doing it palletized we're doing it production um and but that whole progression completely shifts as as you build a system in a business like my first prototype you know figuring everything out versus prototyping right now is i was figuring things out on the mill and i built 10 different handles all very different handles and then my most recent prototype I just built one and now I'm just refining how I'm going to do it. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to add weights in here, but the actual core, everything is, is fine, but I have the palette. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to drill an extra hole, like easy peasy. Um, and especially right now is like, I'm building different components and you can change one component without affecting the whole component, depending on like weight savings or whatever. And, and it's, it's just a different line of thinking than, than true skunk works where skunk works is like, you know, get out the duct tape and the super glue because we're making some stuff and we're doing it in a really weird way. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it'd be good if we built our businesses in a way where there could be more structure to the to the prototyping and the experimenting stuff. Yeah, As I'm trying to uh, something I'm trying to do with the new design is I'm trying to work with sheet uh, material. And that way, because like literally I can design a palette that will accept a standardized sheet and then my parts will always, I can make parts. I can make three-dimensional parts within those sheets and the palette doesn't have to change no matter what part I throw in there. Um, Right, right. And it's going to like, it's just going to feed production and prototyping in a whole different way. Yeah. Sounds like a vacuum plate might be good for that. Vacuum, yes, in a degree, like absolutely. But these parts are just too small. <laughs> oh yeah, for the individuals, that's like it for like the op one on the plate side. Exactly. Oh well, so op one, I'm water jetting holes in. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Super easy, and that's like I'm creating a standardized plate, which eventually I'm probably just gonna buy water jet parts from somebody with holes in them. But then you bolt it to a fixture, and then you create your locating features. Like my my fi- feature has two pins in the palette and two holes that are bored to a very tight tolerance in the plate you flip it and it, it literally it fits perfect all of your screws are like you 
bore in new uh, screw holes and everything. You flip those. And then after op one and two, you have three dimensional parts. You can tab off for prototyping and just grind them down. But then when you move to production, you just have an op three that, you know, mills off the tabs to a super clean way. And then your parts are done. And so you can prototype and production on the same palette. Uh, and it's, and I can change things all the, all the way I want without having to completely redesign a palette, which I think is super powerful. Are the tolerances on the holes loose enough that you could just like buy a drill press and make a, a stop on the fence of a drill press and just drill out four holes one quarter at a time? Up to, uh, you took, you could totally do that. Uh, cause the water, the water jet holes are also, I mean, they're tight tolerance positionally, but they're like tapered holes, you know, uh, they're not high right. tolerance holes, but as long as the, cause that's what I basically I do is I clamp it down with the, with the water jet holes, but then I mill in new bolt holes, a right. entirely new bolt hole pattern next to those holes. And I mill in locating features that rest on the pins so that when you flip to op two, you're locating and bolting off of milled dimensions, not water jet dimensions anymore. Yeah, that's what so I So it doesn't even matter what the tolerance of the first holes are. It could be a slot. It could be clamps. It could be whatever. Um, I'm just happy. I'm doing it this way because I have a water jet. We kind of got off of the the, the deep yeah. conversation <laughs> stuff. Do, do you guys want to talk more about that? Or did you, uh, did you do anything interesting this week? I guess I can go. Um, let's see. Interesting this week. I have interesting things coming next week. Oh. Um, it's like, I, I guess a mix of prototyping and then production. My goal is to redesign prototype and get into production the new Slifties okay. by end of next week. So so you are going to redesign it. You're not just going to bring the parts back? Uh, within reason. Um, okay. So I want to machine these ones. Uh, the channels specifically with a keyway cutter. Right. Yeah, we talked about this. Okay. Yep. And so most of my knives, all of them except the Serif, so the Marin, the Marin Light, the Slift T, and the Prisma are all built off of what I'm calling the Marin platform. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same handle profile, same Zen pin locations. Uh, one, you know, all the blades are interchangeable. Um, so all I really have to do is I'm just going to take the existing Prisma uh, palette and programs and and CAD and all that, and I'm just going to redesign the Prisma to look like a Slift T and then get the balance the same as, as the old Slift T. Nice. All yep. Right. Um, so that, that shouldn't take more than a few hours. And then I get to play with keyway cutting aluminum and bashing my head into a control for a while. Well, nice. You mean titanium, right? Yeah, titanium. I'm already doing it in aluminum. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be fun. I hope you get it because I want to do it too. <laughs> yep. I was looking at the feeds and speeds charts for that particular tool. Um, going full depth in titanium is just not going to happen. I figured, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there are feeds and speeds though for titanium. That's pretty yeah. exciting. Yep. About 150 surface footage. Um, oh, 60 thou depth of cut roughly. That's pretty respectful. Yeah. Uh, respectable. That's yeah. not bad. So it should be pretty quick and a lot more accurate. And lot, only yeah. two operation parts. Two op parts are the best yeah, parts. That's gonna be huge. Oh, that's one op parts are nice. the best parts. I did the dumbest thing ever yesterday. Oh. I uh I was trying to expand a fixture that I kind of only made one uh like it has a, a pattern for making the, the buttons for my scissors. And uh 
for a while I was just making it so it was like making four at a time, but I could fit 12 at a time on the pallet. And uh, so I milled out the other spots for the rest and then I had to hand tap them and I grabbed a tap that I thought I always use and I'm like, huh, this doesn't seem to want to go. And so I'm like, oh, I need an 832. Maybe this is a 1032. Let me just check it by putting it in one of the already tapped holes and seeing if it fits. Oh, no. It kind of fit and then immediately broke. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. Because it was a 1032 in an 832 hole. Yep. I I can't believe I did that. So I tried to mill it out, of course, and I did, but it also ruined the hole, of course. So then I had to make a new hole and make the clamp slightly to the side and look not as pretty. (laughs) Oh, no. You could heat the yeah. coil the first hole, although I've already changed the hole position. So, yeah, yeah, and I don't know how, I don't know how much it it, it looks kind of messed up because I tried. Of course, you try to like, uh-huh. oh, the tap sticking up a little bit. Maybe I can like tap it out to rotate right. it out. Yeah, I've ruined two pallets, brand new pallets like that. I did one. It was the last hole. I was tapping them by hand because I just wanted to get it done, and I snapped the tap in the very last hole. So I scrapped that pallet entirely. Nice. And then, it's been a while since I've broken a tap in aluminum, and it, that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it was an aluminum for me, too. I was just doing it with a hand drill, and I snapped it in the last one because I tilted the drill by accident. Oh, you're using a drill. Oh, now I don't feel yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I, I was using the old, you know, this, the nice Starrett handle. Yeah, you know, I was doing it, like, just make it fast, and yeah. clearly that didn't work out very well. I, I think every pallet I've made has either a broken drill bit or a broken tap stuck in it somewhere. No, nice. <laughs> I just can't. I'm, I've got a bad streak with tasks, man. Or the big thing that really got me is I keep accidentally drilling into the metal, like the steel portions of the Pearson pallet. And I'm doing oh. it with surface footage for aluminum. And so it oh. breaks everything. <laughs> I've, I've yet to do that, fortunately. That was always my greatest fear. So I always check the models to make sure I'm not going too deep on anything. Yeah, I, I can't, I, you know, it's one little thing. It's like you check the model and then at the bottom when you're adjusting your heights, you're like, oh, yeah, I want the tap to drill through the bottom. And I'll, yeah, let's just send it another 10 thou. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just, oh, dang it. <laughs> Yo. Well, speaking of all the palletized stuff, how's it going with you, John? Looks like you're getting close to production. Yeah, the last, what I was working on today was a, basically like a small little, what would you call it? Like a block for milling the top of the screws that I order, the handle screws, because the oh, ones yeah. I get in are too long. And I'm like, I'm going to stop doing these by hand because I've made <laughs> five of them, yep. five of them at a time. And I'm like, this is kind of stupid. So I'm thread milling 30, 256 holes and hardened 4130. Okay. I, was like, nice. I thought about form tapping it. And then I was like, I don't think the form taps good over like 35 HRC. No. I can actually so, when I broke that tap, I immediately thought of like Instagram posts of, of you thread milling. And I'm like, this is why he thread mills. Yeah. <laughs> this I never almost, would have happened. So I almost always use the only, th- I use thread mills just for titanium, but I have form tap titanium just fine. Like it's oh, yeah. definitely mm-hmm. soft enough to do it. Oh yeah. And I've, I've, form tap chromoly actually like 4140 okay. and 4130 just not hardened and then i was like i don't really want to yeah. weren't you thread milling a aluminum pallet um probably because it's metric and i don't have any the m10 1.5 i thought i do it maybe i'm confused the all the lang stuff is uh, m10 1.5 
Yeah. So I have to thread mill it because I don't have one of those form taps. Otherwise, I would. Um, okay. Yeah I, yeah, I love form taps. And uh, I'm usually all super careful and slow. It's just the stupid, like, I'll just test it in the smaller hole. Yep. Yeah. My next big challenge is the two hardest parts is the clip and the backspacer. And the backspacer have a pretty good idea about what I want to do. But the clip is still pretty difficult to figure out as far as work holding is going to go. And I think the plan is right now. So I'm ordering. So before I was cutting out a one inch round bar and I went to three quarter inch round bar because I'm going to do an op one that basically puts a sort of like a dovetail, but it's not a dovetail. It's just a square essentially to be clamped with a uniforce clamp on the fourth axis, which will be tilted or it'll be orientated so that you can actually hit that 256 tapped hole that's at, at a weird angle in the back mm-hmm, how it's mm-hmm. actually secured to the backspacer um but actually holding it after that is kind of the tricky part and then servicing it because the last time i was doing it i'm only i was only holding it with one screw one 440 screw yeah and it's not enough essentially to get it to not bow when it's being serviced just um, what is this? So is the <clears throat> screw like screwing into the actual part? So it's going to be really hard to explain without like actually seeing it. But there's a on the flat part of the clip on the bottom, the part you wouldn't see if it was attached to the knife. There's a 440 tapped hole there and it's just for work holding. Yeah. And then the actual part, the actual threads that secure the clip to the knife is a 256 tapped hole. And that's along like the back vertical shoulder of the clip itself. So what I want to do is make a removable um, block, I guess, on the tombstone. And for the last op, essentially, is it still bolted with that 440 through the through the backside or through kind of kind of like how you you usually fix your knife handles all the way through. So it's like a removable like that. And then figure out how to actually have it sit in a pocket and still be able to secure it with the 256 screw. So the difficult thing is how do you machine that? Yeah. In a way where you can hold more than one. So I'm kind of. I, this is where I that. think maybe the the plate type of thing uh, Grant was talking about and like you window machine a bunch of them. Yeah, so I have I've thought about that too, but the the issue with the clip is the the thickness of it because of the height and getting material in a cost effective way. So you would have to buy half inch material, like half inch titanium. Oh yikes! Yeah, and you could you could buy half inch bar, like square bar, but it seems to be hard to find square bar and the prices jump all over the place. But three quarter inch round bar is readily available. Yeah, it seems like, like any day of the week. So how uh, thick is the uh, pocket clip? The I think the bounding box for it is like a half inch by another close to a half inch. And then it's like okay. a two and an eighth long, I think. That's uh, bigger than I thought it would have been. Right. It's because of the shape of it makes it so wide, essentially. Yeah. Where you need stock that's kind of weird size. Oh, oh, I can't remember. So does it like go into the spine of the spacer? Is that why it's so tall? Yeah, it basically, it rounds over the back and it's secured to the knife through the backside. Okay. 
most people don't do that. They make flat clips that bolt like, you know, through the clip. This gets bolted perpendicular to the flat of the clip. Yeah, I like your 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 clip a lot personally. Yeah, it is, it I is like it too because cool. it's it sits in your pocket is mm-hmm. essentially as deep as possible. Gonna, but yeah, the issue is the making them. Oh, yeah, is, is uh, yeah. Yo. Uh, so that's like the last hurdle. Okay. Which is, uh, I'm doing the thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on that today. And then I'm like, wait, I have this other thing I could be doing. That kind of yeah. thing. Could so, you like, uh, if you're doing like four axis stuff, well, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't make sense. Could you like use less material if you like angle it inside of the material? Uh, so it's, it's angled as best as I can get it in the material. That's kind of what I'm doing with the backspacer too, is it's like angled at a weird like 39 degrees to fit in okay. the bar. Because the backspacer is a huge bounding box too. It's like a quarter by, if you went straight on its dimension, it's like an inch and three quarters or something, but you can fit it in an inch and half um, like rectangular bar. But it's the issue with like the clip is because of where the tap hole is, the 256, and the length of the actual clip itself makes tooling to reach down there also difficult. <laughs> so mm. it's like a multi, multi-faceted problem, but I don't know. So that's the that's the big happening right now. But it is the last set of um, work holding I really have to do. It, it seems like it also would be cool if uh, you could do it in a live, live tooling lathe. Yeah, I wish I could do it in the lathe too, but I don't have enough live tools, and it's it's only a C-axis uh, live tool lathe. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were able to. Yeah. It's a pretty complex part. Yep. Time to buy a Willman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's trying to buy a Willman. Yep. Like everyone's trying to buy a Kern. Yep. The, Kern's work envelope, the, the Kern's work envelope is really not that good for most people, honestly. Yeah. It's really good for knife parts. Yeah. yeah. Even then, it's it is a small work envelope. Yep. Like when you see it in person, you're like, yeah. "Oh, I'm used to probably about that size." Um, I ran two. They were Makino uh, N2 five XAs. They were pretty small horizontal five axis machines. Uh, yeah, I think they had a pretty similar work envelope to the Kern. Gotcha. Yep. I love the like Matsuras that have like two inch pallets or something absurdly small. Oh, yes, yeah. that's, that's I want it so bad. <laughs> I'll get yeah. there. Yeah, might be sooner than you think. I hope so. Are we uh, calling it a close, guys? I think this is a good yeah. place to stop it. Yeah, I think we uh, we all got got our goals in. Um, pretty solid. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Y'all have a good one. Yep. Bye. Yeah. Stop listening to my podcast now, please. <laughs> <laughs>